Welcome to another episode of the YPT podcast. And here with me today, I have Ellie, also known as Gen Z, the author of How to Fix the Planet When You're a Teenager. Okay, first of all, Ellie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us. And um, tell me, why did you choose the name Gen Z? Um, Well, I wanted a pen name just because I felt that, I don't know, I just didn't really want to be easily identified. I'm a little bit paranoid. (laughs) but um, My mum came up with the name because obviously I'm my age, I'm 16, and I'm in the, uh, you know, generation, generation Z. And then um, my mum's like, oh, what about um, Gen Z? And then she wanted to have it like, you know, G, E, N, then just like Z. But I was like, oh, let's just make it a little bit more you know, subtle. So I did the actual name, like Jen and then Z. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, it, it was quite subtle because I must admit, when I first saw the name, I thought, is that actually her real name? No. And I was like, oh, that's, that's quite unusual. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of quite relieved when I realised that it wasn't. Um, so how long, I mean, you, you know, you've written this book, which is a pretty amazing thing to have done. And I guess you were, you were 15 when you wrote the yeah. book, were you? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty unusual thing to have done at, at your age. How long have you been interested in the environment? Oh, it seems like it's been forever. <laughs> I think right. probably um, 2018, my mum bought me this book called um, No More Plastic by Martin Dory. And it was all basically all about, you know, plastic is bad for the environment, what you can do, etc., etc. And I read it and I just found it really interesting. And it, I think it just sparked a, a greater interest in the environment. Okay, so would you say that was kind of the defining moment when you realised that taking care of the planet was important? Or was there was there some other sort of eureka moment when you were like, oh, wow? I think I've always grown up with a philosophy, you know, taking care of the planet, i.e. like don't litter, don't, you know, waste food, etc, etc. But um, I, I think through watching a collection of David Attenborough documentaries and like BBC documentaries in general, because there are just so many things that contribute to climate change. And there are just so many different areas and um, that all of them are equally interesting. But I just thought, yeah, it's just, I think all of those collections of moments really sparked a, you know, a really like a more of a passion for the environment. Yeah, I think, you know, that is one of the things about our planet and, and kind of taking care of it is the fact that there are so many different aspects and everything kind of interlinks in all kinds of really complicated ways and you know you study maybe one area but then you realize oh there's these whole other different sort of factors that Mm -hmm. actually feed into that particular issue whatever it happens to be plastic obviously being quite a big one Mm -hmm. so I mean you know you've written your book which is it's a pretty big statement on how you feel about the environment Mm -hmm. Um, and what kind of feedback have you received and and has it come more from teenagers or from adults? I've received quite a lot of positive feedback. Everyone's been like absolutely amazing. But I have received more feedback, surprisingly, from adults, which wasn't what I initially expected. But it's because the main people involved in actually helping me with the book were adults. So they were pushing it out to, you know, people that they knew, like co-workers um, and others. And um, yeah, adults were just, oh, this is amazing. But I have been gaining some traction with my original <laughs> target audience. I recently <laughs> sent out a book to a young activist called Hannah Testa in um, Georgia, United States. And so I'm very excited <laughs> to see what she Excellent. thinks of it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. And um, and apart from writing your book, mm-hmm. have you made any changes to your own life to help to reduce your own environmental footprint, if you like? Yeah, I've done quite a few little things. I think the biggest change that I've made is I've stopped buying fast fashion from fast fashion completely. I um, either get my uh, clothes secondhand from my mum, like raid my mum or dad's wardrobe and see what they don't yeah. wear. Um, or I buy secondhand places like Depop or I just get them from more ethical places like um, this shop, e-commerce place called Nguyen. And yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I think that is... It's one of the big challenges, and I want to talk to you about that a bit more in a minute. Um, but, I mean, it was really interesting reading your book because you you take quite a pragmatic approach, I think. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of times when you're thinking, well, you know, this is kind of the absolute ideal of what you should do. But actually, I appreciate as a young person mm-hmm. myself that this can be quite difficult for you to achieve and that, you know, don't beat yourself up too much if you can't do the whole lot, but try and do something. Mm-hmm. And that that really feeds in really well. Was that sort of um, something you really wanted to make sure happened with the book? Yeah, I, I didn't want to make anybody feel bad because I can relate to that. I also feel that there is a lot of pressure on young people to do everything like absolutely perfectly. Like, oh, you're the younger generation. You've come to save us all. So, and if you want to be an environmentalist, you have to do absolutely everything perfectly. But I really think that defies like the true values of environmentalism. And it's, I, I just wanted to have a very respectful approach in the book. I didn't want to shame anybody for not doing anything a particular way. Cause look, I'm not vegan. I'm not vegan. I, um, I'm not as politically active as I should be, but at the same time, I don't want to shame anybody into saying that you're a terrible person if you don't do this, because that's not true. Because if you're doing something, you're you're doing fine. You're doing great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that completely. And I think it's, we're in an age where there are a lot of people who kind of deal in absolutes and, you know, it, it's quite refreshing to have someone who who's kind of looking at, in a more kind of slightly relaxed way, I guess, about things. I mean, it's, it's not to say that you're relaxed about it in any way, but just, you know, you're not putting that absolute pressure on. And I always think, you know, there's a lot of black and whites in dealing with environmental issues, but actually that's not the way it is. There's a huge amount of gray area yeah. in mm-hmm. environmental issues. And it's really important that people sort of understand that. Um, and, and going on from that, do you think it's it's too complicated for people to do the right thing, say on issues like recycling? I do think it is. I think that there are so many factors that play into things, say like the plastic pollution crisis. I'd say that it is definitely, it's more of a government issue because there's only so much that we can do as consumers, but then the real problem lies to the people up at the top because the recycling systems in the UK aren't, well, we just can't cope with the amount of waste and then we send it off for another country to deal with, but we have no control over that. So even if you think that you're doing something good, you probably aren't like in the bigger picture, even though you feel that it's like better than doing nothing. It's just, um, you don't have any control over where it ends up. No, no, I think that's true that, you know, you, you put the stuff in what you hope is the right bin, but you don't necessarily know what happens to it after it's gone, been collected from yeah. that bin where it ends up going next. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's too much, particularly with plastic, where it gets shipped overseas and then, 
you know what happens to it after that can be not what you thought was going to yeah. happen at all um when you put it in the recycling bin um so yeah i think that's uh, and you know as you say government level stuff is, is where it should be i mm-hmm. mean they're starting to put pressure on and we can see it does work with things like the plastic bag tax if yeah you like in inverted commas that's really had a massive impact mm-hmm. but it's kind of steering more and more packaging uh, and other items made of plastic down that sort of direction as well i think that's really important for governments to start doing yeah. and i guess young people can have an influence on that as well because you know you, you've got like two years until you can start voting and, yeah you know that's when you know young people's power can start to show in a different kind of a way mm-hmm. um so the more that message can get across i think the better and you know as you say you've made some really interesting points on plastic in the book um and you I mean, do you see government as being the solution to that problem? Do you see the solution coming from anywhere else? Or is it going to be from the top downwards, do you think? It's got to be from the top. I mean, plastic in itself, it's a byproduct from using oil. And if you don't use that byproduct, it's just way more harmful for the environment than turning it into plastic. But then at the same time, you can't get rid of plastic overnight because in some places it's used for like a basic, you know, standard of living. So, um, my grandparents, they live in this small island in Greece called Egina, and you just can't drink water from the tap. It hasn't been treated at all. Right. So you have to, um, you know, use plastic bottles, water. So it is needed for a basic standard of living. And in some places you don't have the luxury of choosing, actually, no, I'm not going to drink um, out of the plastic bottles. I'm going to heat up the water to because you just can't do that. And even Greece, even though it has it, you know, its economic um, problems and everything, it's still considered a high-income country. And if that's happening yeah. in a high-income country, what is happening in countries that are still developing? Yeah, I think we've you know there've been various plastic documentaries where they've shown the way that. Um, things like the little plastic pouches and small packets are perpetuated because the people can't afford to buy a big glass jar of coffee, say. Mm -hmm. They'll buy a sachet at a time because that's what they can afford. And then that plastic sachet gets just basically chucked in a rubbish heap somewhere or in the river or or whatever um, and ends up adding to the problem. Um, But, yeah, you can see how how it happens and why it happens. Um, And it's a question of trying to bring more equality, I guess, to the world in order to enable everybody to be on that same sort of level playing field um Mm -hmm. but that is an enormous enormous challenge okay so ellie as a teenager yourself um Mm -hmm. what's your advice to other teenagers who are trying to create a style for themselves without damaging the planet we're coming back here to the fast fashion that you were talking about okay um i think it's for like developing your own style maybe go on pinterest really good app and then you can collect things it's almost like collect images and you put them on a mood board bit and if you just see things that you like put them on there and next time if you see a noticeable theme or item next time you go out thrift shopping or go to a charity shop or something look something similar but I also think that it's good to it's the best thing to do is to use what you already have and then maybe experiment more with your outfits Right. With okay. what you already have. Yeah. Because you don't need the exact things, just like, you know, general idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really important. If you can manage to kind of consume less, then obviously that, that makes a big difference. And if you end up having to get something, where would you mm-hmm. recommend that people go to do that? 
Um, well, I think there's this thing, it's called the Bayer Archie of Needs, very, very cool name. Ah. And it has the different um, things you should do maybe before you actually buy something new. I think one of them is to borrow it so you can either rent something like for quite cheap on like different places. Or um, if you're a bit textiles sort of savvy, um, make it yourself. That's what my sister's actually doing. She's making clothes for herself now. Oh, cool. Because she's just disappointed with like what she finds. Um, thrift it or get it from places. Oh, there's this. Um, I'm not sure. Sure, I'm not sure for the um, the boys listening to this, but for the girls, um, there's a place called um, Lucy and Yak, but also it's unisex, so both. Right. Um, another place called Nguyen. Very, like it's affordable. It's pretty much, I wouldn't say exactly like fast fashion prices, but it's very good in terms of ethical fashion. If you're buying it from you, because usually they're very, very pricey, but these ones are actually quite affordable and really cool. So I suggest that they check them out. Oh, okay, that sounds really interesting. Because, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm afraid, being the age that I am, don't do these sort of things anymore. And uh, uh, my fashion is basically a T-shirt and a pair of jeans most of the time. And uh, it doesn't really change too much from that, except when I go for a polo shirt when I need to dress up slightly. Um, Timeless looks. Sorry? Timeless looks. Well, yes. Yeah, that's very polite. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, lazy, I think, would be the word. Lazy. Um, but easy as well. So um, where have we got to? I think I was just asking you, there was another question that I was just about to ask you when everything kind of went wrong a few minutes ago. And that was what you think the biggest challenge is that's facing your generation. This, um, I'd probably say the government. That sounds quite extreme. But at the moment, I think the biggest challenges the government because if you we already know the science behind the climate crisis we know what we can do to fix it the real fight is trying to make the politicians willing to actually enforce the change that is needed and to make the actions because we know what we need to do but the reason why we're protesting is because we're telling the politicians you need to do this yeah, I think, you know, that that's what Greta has been all about for the last few years, isn't it? Um, talking mm -hmm. to the, the, the guys who are supposedly in charge and saying, look, you you say all these things about the next generation and, you know, all these challenges and all that. You don't actually do anything. Um, and it is a real problem that we have. And I, I guess that cycle of government and the way it works, you know, the, the five year, the four year term, whatever it is that different places mm -hmm. have means that politicians tend to be looking from about year two or two and a half onwards at the idea of being reelected rather than the idea of trying to make any real changes. Um, yeah. So it doesn't give very long to you know really stir things up. And we have to get around that somehow. I think it's a, it's a problem for human beings as a whole that we tend to be mm -hmm. quite short term in our outlook. Um, and we need to start building that bigger picture view across across the world's governments and that's the thing it's not it's not the uk government by itself by any means mm -hmm, it's yeah. going to be all the governments around the entire world need to be really looking at this or certainly significant numbers of them need to be before it really makes a big difference mm -hmm. um so what do you think people need to do about changing the way that they live their lives do you think Oh, sorry, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I've got one of them too. <laughs> um, I think we, uh, you know, people's lives are going to change. That's just inevitable. I mean, if you think about the past year, like people's lives have had to change. But that's because the government have enforced these policies 
and almost like bands, I wouldn't really say laws, but like bands and everything to make, you know, to change people's lives, uh, lives, to keep them safe. I think people's lives, they can change it by just buying less and consuming less. I mean, not with food, obviously, eat what you need to eat, <laughs> don't starve yourself or anything. But um, just like buying less stuff because we're in a society, a capitalist, a capitalist society when we're just being told to buy, like, you know, buy this, buy this, that it'll like make you feel better Buy this, like your life sucks without it, basically. But um, I think, you know, just to try and refuse the temptation, you know, turn away from it. It has taken me a bit of a while to um, say no to certain things. But I think that's definitely an easy and very inexpensive and a money saving, you know, it will actually save you money in the long term. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think, you know, there, there is a whole sort of universe of marketing people and that kind of thing out there who are there basically to try and encourage you to spend more money on stuff that, yeah, you think is going to change your life. But will it actually? Um, it might might make you feel happy for that, you know, couple of days after you've got it, perhaps. Yeah. But beyond that, yeah, has it really mm -hmm. changed your life? And if so, has it changed it in a really good way? Um, probably not so much. So, okay, yeah, I, I think you're right. That's the sort of change that everybody can make. It's quite an easy one, isn't it? And as you say, it saves you money. Just thinking, no, I'm not going to yeah. spend my money on that does actually just mean that you've got more money, yeah. um, which yeah, is quite exactly. useful for other things. So, mm -hmm. um, how do you think that change is going to, I guess you've already explained how you think yeah. it's going to happen. It's going to be, yeah. hopefully, on a small scale, the individuals making their choices that actually start to make a difference, whilst at the mm -hmm. same time, at the top end, you've got the governments yeah. making that change to kind of mm -hmm. reinforce the messaging and mm -hmm. reinforce the change. So your greatest hope then for the future? I think this one's quite generic. It's like world peace, because I feel that if people look at their similarities rather than their differences, we can get a lot more done. And I think not just peace between people, but like peace between, you know, people and nature and the environment. I think peace just covers a very wide range of things. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, you know, that's a really good point you make as well about sort of the relationship between humanity and the environment and, and it being a kind of, well, aiming for a harmonious relationship with humanity yeah. and the environment rather than something that isn't quite so harmonious that perhaps we have a lot of the time at the moment. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, yeah, trying to develop that is... is my, yeah. My, my sister always says that um, the real fight with climate change, like the planet is going to carry on without us mm. yeah, if absolutely. we don't do anything. She says the real thing that we should be thinking about, like, where, do we want to be a part of that future? Yeah. So that's what he says. I just think it's just really, like, worded well. Yeah, well, so. I, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've got this massive rock that we're spinning through space on yeah. um, that's mm -hmm. been here for billions of years and will carry on being here, regardless of what we do on its surface. Um, you know, we could mess things up for ourselves completely and for all the other species around us, perhaps. But that rock is going to keep on spinning through space. Um, and so, you know, yeah, we, we've got that choice to make at this point. And we can see it's kind of a, almost like a breaking point, really, of either we make the changes that make a difference that mean that we all get to survive or we don't. And things start to get really quite unpleasant for a lot of people. Mm. Um, OK, so take you maybe off topic. I'm not sure. Probably not, actually, with this one. Um, your favourite eco hero and oh, why? Okay. Yeah, sorry, it's Hopefully... one of those awful questions. <laughs> Hopefully I don't completely butcher her name. I think it's like Shia Bastida. She's, um, I just think that she's completely awesome. 
as a person. I think she she's from the indigenous Mexican Otomi Toltec community right. in Mexico. And she lives in New York City and is a, like a big um, organizer for Fridays for Future. So I, I think she won the Spirit of the UN Award in 2018. And she's like a major voice for um, immigrants and indigenous communities because they're often like, you know, forgotten about when we in the discussion of the climate crisis, when they're at the end of the day going to be most affected by it, even though they don't contribute it um, to the climate crisis as much. Yeah, yeah. Now, that is uh, there's a real sort of irony there, isn't there, to the fact that people in some of the developing countries are the ones who probably, as you say, contribute least to the actual problem but yet they're the ones who are likely to be the worst affected um, as warming continues to increase. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a really tough thing. So it, it's, I, I think that's an amazing choice actually. Um, and um, I think, you know, what she's, what she's doing is, is superb. Um, now this doesn't have to be an environmental one. Your biggest inspiration. I think I've got two, which is a bit of a cheat one. Um, probably my you parents. <laughs> Your parents. Okay. My yeah. Parents. Fair enough. <laughs> My mum, she's Greek Cypriot, mm -hmm. and she had to flee Cyprus when she was five years old oh. in 1974 um, because of the Turkish invasion. And they had to, you know, enter the UK, her and her family, as refugees, which is, you know, pretty traumatic in itself. But then she worked really hard, put herself into, like, university, and now she's, um, like, part of the senior leadership team at this pharmaceuticals. And she's actually also a sustainability, um, sustainability champion for the company Brilliant. <laughs> so, um, and also my dad give him a bit of a shout out as well he's really selfless and really hard working and all around you know very nice human being <laughs> brilliant excellent i like that um okay so right this this is one of those just daft questions that comes in towards the end uh your favorite animal and why <laughs> i have loads anything fluffy is just amazing <laughs> i um I think I've got quite a long-standing relationship almost with elephants because when I was younger, I used to be quite heavy-footed and stump around a lot, like, you know, stomping. So my mum would call me, uh, and dad would call me Ellie the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I also, another favourite animal, again, this is a bit of a cheat answer, my dog is another favourite animal of mine. She's just such a diva. She's like, <laughs> sassy. I think that's fair enough. I think, you know, you loved your dog. And um, so what kind is, is she? She's um, a cabochon. Oh, She's wow. like so a cross between a Bichon freeze and um, a Cocker Spaniel. But she has, she, she's so small, but she just barks all the time, as you, you heard earlier on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've got one like that as well. It's not a cabochon. We did look at cabochons, actually. Um, oh. When we were looking to buy a dog, this was a, a few years ago. We ended up with a Havanese instead. Um, who um, he's, yeah, he's lovely most of the time, but he doesn't like <laughs> delivery people at all, it turns out. No. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of barking that goes on there. Um what about your ideal holiday? Now, that's that's kind of a one of those questions now that seems a bit like a fantasy almost because yeah. of the way the world's been for the last year or so. But what would your ideal holiday consist of? Um, I already mentioned it earlier, I think, slightly. So my yaya and papu, so grandmother and grandfather, live on the island, Reef Island, called Hegina. I've been there lots of times throughout my life. And I just really love it. It's just amazing. I love the the people there, the architecture, even though it's not like there aren't like loads of temples everywhere. There are like a few. But um, 
and I just love the food and everything. The weather is just lovely. So I guess my ideal holiday would be there. And I'd get to bring my dog because usually I wouldn't, we can't bring my dog because she'd literally like die in the heat. Right. But um, <laughs> like, I guess my ideal, like in a fantasy world, bring my dog with me as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. That's, that's really good. So um, yeah, I mean, Greek islands, quite a nice place to be really and especially when you've got that sort of a connection with it as well rather than it just being a place where you're going on holiday you've actually got a whole lot sort of linked up with it as well in in your life i think that's really lovely um well uh, you're going to become a trustee of the young a young trustee of the young people's trust of the environment um in a couple of months time um, when we have our next meeting and i wanted to ask you what you're looking forward to most about becoming a young trustee i think just getting stuck in really and also meeting new people. Mm -hmm. I love meeting new people, especially like because everyone will be like so passionate about solving, well, not completely solving, but you know, mitigating climate change. And I just think it will just be really cool to be surrounded by all these different and very interesting people. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the, the young trustee, I don't know whether you've heard any of the other YPT podcasts yet, but a couple of them actually, I have. Yeah, a couple of them actually <laughs> feature some of our young trustees yeah. already. And, you know, they've got some really great ideas and they're really great people to work with. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be looking forward very much to, to meeting you as well. Now, yeah. I just wanted to say that if people wanted to get hold of a copy of your book, um, you can yes. do it in various different ways. But the website to go to, I'll, I'll put it up on the um, the notes for the podcast, but it's Clary Publishing, and that's K-L-E-R-Y publishing.com slash bookshop. And there you will be able to buy various different versions of Ellie's book. Um, remember, it's down as, as Gen Z um, <laughs> and um, as, as the author. But you can buy it as a PDF download or as an ebook, or you can buy it as a physical book as well. So there's lots of different options for you. Um, and uh, I would really recommend that you give it a read. Uh, particularly if you're a teenager, because it's absolutely ideal for you. But if you're a grown up as well, um, it's a really good read. And um, I love the sort of slightly self-deprecating style that you have uh, in the way that you write it, um, the humour that you put in as well, and the fact that you are not trying to you know, beat people up with absolutes um, and that you have that kind of uh, slightly more relaxed attitude, which I think is really important because, you know, I always think, to get people on side, you don't do it by, you know, bullying them into it. You do it by gentle persuasion. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that's very much what your book is about. Um, mm -hmm. So really appreciate the style of that. And, uh, and you. you know, congratulations for writing it. It's an excellent Thank piece of work. So uh, what's the summer got in store for you then? Because I'm, I'm thinking you've just probably finished your GCSEs. Yeah, um, I finished a month ago right. about the last exams. Um, yeah, mainly just doing work for the different sixth forms because they've sent some very nicely. Oh, <laughs> sent that is kind of them, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 69 pages of biology from one of them. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. So I've got to work my way through that. And I am teaching myself Greek GCSE because I, although I do have a like basic grasp of the language i just want to become more fluent in it and connect with my heritage a bit more okay that's really good and presumably your mum can help you with that to a good degree in terms of the speaking part uh yeah she's yeah. <laughs> she's okay so, yeah. but she yeah. said you'll probably end up knowing more than me at the end of the <laughs> cool 
Well, it's been really lovely to speak to you today, Ellie, and you. Um, you know, looking forward to seeing you again soon mm -hmm. at a trustees meeting, whether that's in person or on another sort of virtual system. Um, but uh, have a great summer and, Thank you. Um, you, <laughs> you know, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing you know, a fantastic job with um, with all that you're you're doing to promote the ideas of environmentalism to young people. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. To find out more about our work at the Young People's Trust for the Environment, please visit our website, ypte.org.uk. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at WeAreYPTE, on Twitter at YPTE, and on YouTube by searching up the Young People's Trust for the Environment. Thanks for listening and see you again soon.